Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 656 with Jim Kuzis. Jim is a legend, and it's so good to be chatting with him. And he zooms in on the five things that extraordinary everyday leaders do. And leadership is such a big fuzzy word. <laughs> I love the way Jim breaks down to, no, seriously, these are the five things that they're doing. And that's really handy. So you'll learn, one, the definitive answer to the question, are leaders born or are they made? Two, the four components to building a compelling vision. And three, easy ways to sustain your team's motivation. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, I recommend you drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP656. And if you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, I think you might enjoy getting summary write-ups from Jim and all of the guests who have gone before him, either right the day the episode goes live or anytime you want on demand through the vault. We call that the gold nuggets, the summaries, handy stuff. So you can sign up for those at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here is Jim's story. Jim Kuzis is the author of the award-winning and best-selling book, The Leadership Challenge, and over a dozen other books on leadership, including the 2021 book, Everyday People, Extraordinary Leadership. He's also a fellow of the Door Institute for New Leaders at Rice University. The Wall Street Journal named Jim one of the 10 best executive educators in the U.S., and he has received the Distinguished Contribution to Workplace Learning and Performance Award from the Association for Talent Development, among many other professional honors. Big thanks to Jim for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Jim. Jim, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thank you for the opportunity to chat with you today. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your your goods. Uh, but first, I want to hear about your experience as JFK's Honor Guard. What is the story here? Well, I was an Eagle Scout at 15 years of age, and I guess back then that was a rare occurrence. That's pretty young, 15 versus 18. Yeah, 15 years old. And so uh, they asked a few of us, I think it was about a dozen, two groups of six who were stationed at the base of the reviewing stand where President Kennedy and his family and some of his cabinet and the spouses stood and watched as the parade went by. This was when it was right in front of the White House years and years ago. And I uh, stood there in the very, very below freezing cold. I can still, when I talk about it, feel that frigid cold in my feet. It was so cold. And 
it was one of those experiences in life that you can vividly remember. And as Kennedy unveiled his various initiatives, the Peace Corps was one of those. And I think it was that event that really inspired me both to join the Peace Corps, but dedicate my life to service and education. And so I joined the Peace Corps after university. And that began this career that I've been in since really 1967. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, did you get to shake hands or were you just sort of standing there in the honor guard duties? No, we, we, we later were invited to the White House. There you go. Yes. So we did meet the president and first lady much, much later after the inauguration. That's cool. That's cool. Well, your career is storied. We were chatting before we pushed record that I read your book, The Student Leadership Challenge, when I was a student 15 plus years ago, and you're still cranking out the hits. So so I'm excited to, to dig into your latest, Everyday People, Extraordinary Leadership. But maybe first, could you share what, what do you have you discovered is perhaps the most surprising and fascinating thing about leadership from all your decades of research? Like, is there something the average professional doesn't quite seem to, to grasp about leadership? Well, there are a couple of things that come to mind immediately, Pete. The first of those is the most frequently asked question we get, is leadership born or made? And we've been asked that question since the very first edition, and we still get asked that every time we speak or do a seminar, workshop, or a class. And so Barry and I have done the research on this, uh, my co-author Barry Posner and I, and uh, we have determined, based on our extensive research, that every leader we have ever met is born. <laughs> <laughs> they, they emerged from the womb. Okay. <laughs> Never known one not to be born unless it's right. a born unless it's a fictional character <laughs> that was made up in somebody's mind. And so that's really not the question to be asked. Uh, the question to be asked is can leadership be learned regardless of what you might be born with? And the answer to that question is definitively yes. I wouldn't have stayed in this career this long if it wasn't. And I think that reveals an assumption that people tend to make, that leadership is something special that only a few people have, and you're either born with it or you're not. You, it's, it's a gift from the gods. It's in your DNA, and it's only a few people, a few charismatic individuals that might have the ability, or people who have lucky circumstances early on in their lives. And we found that that's just not the case. In fact, that was one of the reasons why we wrote this book directed at everyday leaders. You know, everyday people, extraordinary leadership is really about the fact that, and I say fact, and I'll give you some data in a minute, that supports the notion that we all have some capability to lead regardless of our circumstances. And I think that's probably the most, one of the most significant things we've found in our research. Just to give you some data, we looked, Pete, at the data from our leadership practices inventory, which, as you may know uh, from your reading of the student leadership challenges, is the assessment we use to determine whether people are engaging in these practices or not. And what we found was that the number of people who exhibit zero leadership capability, that is, they actually score the lowest score on our inventory from observer standpoint, the number is 0.0001. 0.0013%. All right. 
<laughs> so that means 99.99987% of people have some leadership capability. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is at the 10 level of leadership, which is the highest number you can get on our scale. That is not the majority of the people, or you know, the majority are somewhere in the middle. But it does indicate that most people, only one in one million people do not have leadership capability, and most people, 99.99887, or 999,999, people have some leadership capability. And the issue really is then, can you increase the frequency with which you use leadership behaviors? And again, the answer to that is definitively yes. Well, I'd love to dig into some of the particulars of, of how that's done, but maybe could you kick us off with an inspiring example of an everyday professional who indeed uh, went ahead and exercised some extraordinary leadership. Absolutely. One of the people that I've had the opportunity to follow, not only in writing the book, but subsequently, in fact, uh, this person, Aaron Byrne McElroy. Fine name. And I will be doing a, a session together tomorrow, a virtual session together tomorrow, because uh, we've stayed in touch. And Aaron during the pandemic, like all of us, was sitting at home on her couch, feeling very anxious, not anxious about the pandemic, but anxious about what she was going to do to help her community during this difficult time. And given her background with the community, she was very service-minded. She had been involved in a lot of activities in her community in the Midwest she decided that she had to do something about it as someone who was deeply involved in her community. And she, what she told us is that she said, I returned to my core values and took an internal audit of my heart and my mind. And what came up for her was that service to others was the most important thing to her. And so she asked herself, what can I do to be of service to others during this time? And she came up with an initiative that would enable local restaurants, which were currently not open, to serve frontline workers and first responders by preparing meals for that group with funding that would be raised through the community. And so as a result of that uh, effort, they raised uh, $50,000. Doesn't sound like a lot, but given the small community that she lived in was considerable. From 542 residents and 40 local establishments participated in preparing meals and delivering meals, and 8,130 frontline workers and uh, first responders benefited from that service. That's just one example of many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she had no title. She had no position. People knew her in the community because she was involved, but it, she wasn't the manager. She wasn't the boss. She was just someone who felt the need to take initiative during a challenging time. Well, that, that's cool. Yeah, perfect. In, in terms of example, right there, someone who, who didn't have that authority and yet uh, made some big things happen and, and very cleverly helping multiple people in need of help in some great ways. So so very cool. Well, then can you walk us through how how is that done? You've got your five practices of leadership model. Should we start there? Or how would you think about discussing the how? Yeah, I think that that is the organizing framework for the book. And what we did was we took a look at data to validate this premise that we all have some leadership capability, regardless of title, regardless of position, regardless of authority. We took the data from peer leaders only. So these weren't people who had direct reports. These were individuals who were part of a team, part of a community, 
were not the boss of anyone, and yet were observed by others as leaders. We took that data and we looked at the extent to which they engaged in these five practices and whether or not those individuals had a positive impact. And what we discovered, and we report out in the book with several graphs to illustrate this in in data and story, is that individuals who are peers, who lead other peers, who exhibit these five practices more frequently are viewed by others as effective leaders and have an impact on their sense of whether they're making a difference, the extent to which they understand the purpose and the vision, to the extent to which they are willing to work hard when necessary, those kinds of outcome measures or engagement measures, as some people call them. And so what we did in this book was to tell stories like the one about Aaron Byrne, plus the data around these five practices, which are model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act and encourage the heart. Well, you're bringing back fond memories, Jim. <laughs> Reading this back in the day, I was like, yeah, that, that holds up. Those do sound like the five things that make up leadership, mm-hmm. and so, w- which is huge in and of itself because leadership is such a big, amorphous, fuzzy word. Like, how does one do that? Well, this is how you do it. These five practices. Yes, absolutely. You know, like in, in Aaron's example, for example, I, I mentioned how she said she did a, an audit of her values. One of the things that exemplary leaders do, we call it model the way, is first clarify what's important to them, their values and beliefs, and then they set an example for others by living them out. She came up with a a vision of what could be. She saw this picture in her mind of these people working together to provide uh, service to frontline workers and to first responders, engaging people in the local community who were providing food in through their restaurants or their kitchens. And she had this picture in her head. She was able to then envision it and then inspire others to share it. And then because it was a challenging time, they searched for innovative ways to do this because people were all locked down and they experimented and took some risks. We call it challenge the process. And she involved a team of people to make this happen. We call that enable others to act. And along the way, they celebrated their little small wins as they went through this process. They encouraged each other's hearts. And as a consequence of that, Erin recently was awarded in her local community through their leadership program in their local community, uh, Leader of the Year, Uh as a result of that experience. So that's how individual peers live out these five practices. Yeah, that's lovely. And in terms of that one story, we, we kind of walked through all five of those. So then maybe you could spend a couple of minutes on each of them in terms of, of model the way. You know, it starts with getting clear on values, beliefs, what's important to you, and then living it. Any pro tips on how we can get a boatload of clarity on, on those dimensions? Without taking decades. <laughs> yeah, without, without taking decades. Yeah. We've written a few books about this. Well, let me just give you a couple of those ratios. Let's take clarify values. And wh- one of the little techniques we can try on our own is imagine the following scenario. Imagine you're going to be away from your team that you're wanting to lead or currently leading. And you're going to be away from your team for, let's say, three months. And you're going to be not able to communicate with that team while they're doing their work in any way whatsoever. But you can't leave them a one-page memo, we call a credo memo, prior to being incommunicado. What would you tell people are the principles by which they should conduct themselves in their work during your absence? 
What are the values and beliefs should, that should guide their decisions and actions? Write that one-page memo to your team. Oh, I love it. And it's, it's probably not going to have much to do with the specific software tools <laughs> they should be using. Exactly. What are the principles that should guide their decisions and actions? And do it in one page. That forces people to have to think in short, memorable ways in which they can communicate to others what they should use as guidelines for doing their work and making their decisions. That's a very effective. We all use, use other techniques like values cards. We have people do card sorts. But any way in which you can explore your head and your heart, as Aaron talked about, and your soul and think about, you know, what do I really believe in and what do I hope other people will believe in as we conduct our work? And so could you give us a couple examples of that verbiage? I mean, when you say values, it could just be a word like integrity or humility, courage, innovation, or how are you thinking about values and, and how they're expressed here? Well, let me offer a couple of examples, because there are about 150 values words in the English language, and uh, not all of them are understood similarly. So mm -hmm. you can't hold 150 values simultaneously and have people follow those guidelines, just too many. So five to seven that will help people to understand, and integrity might be one of them. But go the next step and ask yourself, what does integrity look like to you? Uh -huh. What does it look like in practice? So integrity might look like to you in practice that when we're with each other and we're doing our work, we're always straightforward and honest about what's going on. We give each other honest feedback even when it's tough even when it's challenging. But we do it in a way that's empathetic and not not critical of, of the other person, but really ways in which they can take that feedback and act on it. So we have to go the next step from the one word integrity to give an illustration of what that might look like in practice. Okay. Well, thank you. So that's modeling the way. And how does one inspire a shared vision? Well, let's take another technique that we like to use, and, and I call it the life technique, L-I-F-E. Think about the following scenario. At the end of the year, you're going to be awarded leader of the year. Mm -hmm. And people who are your friends, your peers, your colleagues, your team members, your family are going to be there celebrating with you this award. And they're going to be telling stories about you. And they're going to tell about the lessons they learned from you, the ideals you stood for, the feelings that you have, that, that they have when around you, and the evidence that you've made a difference, you've had an impact. L for lessons. I is for ideals. F is for feelings. And E is for evidence. L-I-F-E. Huh. If you were hearing other people talk about you, what do you hope they would be saying about the lessons they learned, the ideals you stood for, the feelings they had when around you, and the evidence that you made a difference. Apply that to yourself, write that down, and then apply that to your team. If your team was going to get team of the year, what would you help others would say would be the lessons people learned from you, the ideals your team stood for, the feelings that people had when they were around your team, and the evidence that you made a difference. That kind of exercise helps people to think more deeply about how they hope to have an impact on others, how they hope to be seen by others, and helps them to see more clearly how they would envision themselves in the future. Mm. But I love that so much. And 
This is also kind of making me think of Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind and mm-hmm. like a eulogy, like what you'd want people to say even at your funeral. Like you could be winning the leader of the year award, but you could even zoom out in, into other contexts to make it spark things. And that reminds me, well, I, I did a brief stint of, of nonprofit consulting at the Bridgespan Group. And when uh, we did our sort of farewells, someone said about me, I was very touched And she said, with regard to me and working and leading, collaborating, that I never made her feel dumb. And I thought, well, that's a really kind thing to say about somebody that you work with, because I don't know about you, Jim, but I've I've felt dumb a lot of times (laughs) working with a lot of people. And that is, that's something that you remember. And it sticks with you, as does the lessons, the ideals, and the evidence of the impact. And and I think it's it's a real nice, tidy summation there. Pete, one of the things that's most challenging for, for people to do, we have found from our research, is be forward-looking. And, and, and Inspire Shared Vision is the lowest scoring practice of all the five practices. So Inspire Shared Vision is extremely challenging for people to do. And in fact, we found this find that this is probably the only practice which is correlated somewhat with age, meaning younger people are not as forward-looking as those with more experience. Uh, part of that is you've had more experience in the workplace and you do understand that you know you don't get instant results in an organization. It takes a while to complete a project. And so you need to be thinking ahead, particularly when you're managing or supervising or leading other people. You need to think potentially years down the road. And so mm-hmm. it is a skill that's developed over time, but we can build that skill the more we begin to imagine scenarios out into the future and what we hope things will look like at the end. And so we can draw on our past about things that we've accomplished in the past and kind of go back and review them to see how they went for us and what the end results were, reminding us that we can start at year one and in year three, something gets realized and imagine what went on during that time. And then come into the present and reflect on what's going on right now that uh, is in need of some action. What are the trends? What's happening that can inform our vision today? And then let's look into the future and project ahead and say, well, what's going to be the impact of what's happening right now down the road? People do that all the time. Who would have known that uh, you and I would be communicating this way 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? And yet here we are using this technology that someone invented a while back. One, one short little example of, of this. Barry Posner and I wrote the first edition of the Leadership Challenge in, starting in 1983 up to, through 1985 and then did some editing and got published in 1987. We wrote the first edition of the Leadership Challenge using a software program called Kermit. It was available only to people at universities. It was only available to people in research institutions. It wasn't publicly available. It was an internet program that allowed us to share files over the internet. Today, people just assume that's the way it's been all along right? because we're doing it all the time. But when we first started writing, there was no such thing as the internet publicly available. But somebody imagined that we could be doing this kind of thing now. What do you, as you're working in your community and you're thinking about what you can do, what is it that uh, you imagine could happen if members of your community took initiative to deal with a particular challenge? Well, thank you. 
But let's talk about the third step there, challenge the process. Uh, how do we do that well? Well, challenge the process is essentially about searching for opportunities by kind of seizing the initiative. So take Again, going back to Erin Byrne McElroy's personal best leadership experience that she told us about during the pandemic. You know, she was sitting there on her couch, just feeling anxious about wanting to do something because she'd always been involved with the community. So she seized the initiative to do something. And also by looking outward for ways to improve. So looking out in the community and ask yourself, well, how could we make this happen? We could get uh, people from food service organizations, so restaurants and kitchens and commercial kitchens, and, and ha- help ask them to be involved. And then who could we be serving? Well, who's the most important population in need? So she looked outside, not just in her own head, but she looked outside in the community for ideas about what could be done to improve. Then she ran that by some people who were close to her to test these ideas. And then they set up little experiments to try it out. Things began to work and come together. So it's about searching for opportunities by seizing the initiative and looking outward for innovative ways to improve. And then by experimenting and taking risks by constantly generating little ideas that can help them to take action on that vision that they had. Any pro tips for, for sparking more ideas when you're in the heat of things? So here's, here's one idea that I think anyone can, can use that will help them be more curious and more innovative and creative. The idea actually, was, was think, talking about looking outward for ideas, came to us from a participant in a workshop we had. We had, a, we had this idea of sitting down and asking your team at least once a week, what have you done over the last week to improve? so that you're better this week than you were a week ago. And so we offered that suggestion, and one of the participants in the workshop followed through and implemented that idea and came back to us four weeks later and said, you know what happened? First time I asked my team to think about this question, what have you learned in the last week to improve? What have you done in the last week to improve so that you're better this week than you were a week ago? The first time that uh, I asked that question, he said, no one had an answer. They kind of looked at me silly and said, uh, he's been to a workshop. This will pass. Said second week, about 25%, 30% of the people had a response. Those conscientious folks who thought maybe I'd ask this question again. 75% had it the third week. You know what happened on the fourth week? They asked me what I had done in the last week to improve. <laughs> so I was better than I was a week ago. So we knew that that worked. It stuck. So you need to come up with some way in which you get, you ask a question or you set up a situation which people have to think about what they've done to improve, to learn, to innovate, to create. You can take people shopping for ideas. Think about organizations that do things not identical to yours, but are, if you're in the service business, other people in the service business that you might go and observe who seem to be very creative and innovative. Go shopping for ideas from other people. Anything that we can do to get people to exercise curiosity about themselves and about others will be helpful to improving it. So I like that technique of asking people, what have you learned in the last week or what have you done in the last week to improve so you're better this week than you were a week ago? But it's also in and of itself uh, illustrative about how how change can unfold at first it's like okay blowing this guy off <laughs> and then the second time a, f- a couple of people get on board and then with that consistency there it goes uh, you're off to the races absolutely 
Uh-huh. Absolutely. What could you tell us now about the, the fourth practice there, enable others to act? Absolutely. So enable others to act is about two things. It's about fostering collaboration by building trust and facilitating relationships, and then about strengthening individuals by increasing their self-determination and developing their competence. So here's another technique or a method that can be helpful. Again, one of those things that you can do almost instantaneously. Whenever you are engaged in an interaction with another person or a group of people, whether it's one people, 10 people, or 100 people, ask yourself the following question prior to the interaction. What can I do in this interaction with this person or group of people that will make them feel more powerful, efficacious, strong, and capable after we're through with this interaction than when we started? What's one thing I can do to make other people feel stronger, more capable, better at and more capable than maybe even they thought they were. It might be simply to listen to that person or that group of people. It might be to offer a suggestion. It might be to say, well, you know, I know somebody who might be able to help you with this. It might be, you know, I think there's a development experience that would be useful to you here. Let me see if I can get you connected with someone who can help you with that. Anything that you can do to make other people feel more powerful, whether it's in a one-minute interaction or a one-hour interaction or longer, is something that will help other people feel stronger and more trusting of you because you're paying attention to them and their needs. And let's talk about the opposite of that. How might a well-intentioned everyday leader accidentally or unintentionally disable others from acting? Let me give you a specific example to frame this because I think it's really important that we talk about this. This is one of one, probably one of the most important topics we can discuss. How do we make other people feel enabled or how do we make them feel disabled? So in response to that question, here's a study, one of my favorite studies that I, I think will help to frame this. Some researchers were doing an experiment on collaboration and trust using what's called the prisoner's dilemma. It's a zero-sum game that's often used in experiments on cooperation and collaboration. And they set up the experiment in a very unique way. They told people that one group of people, the half the participants in this experiment, that they were playing the Wall Street game. And they told others, the other half, that they were playing the community game. What they were really looking at was the extent to which people would cooperate. The rules of the game were the same, were identical. And the only difference was the name of the game, Wall Street Game, Community Game. Who would you guess was more cooperative, those playing the Wall Street Game or the Community Game? I would guess the Community Game. Exactly. And that's the point. The only difference was the name of the game, not the game itself. But those who played the Wall Street Game, only about 37% were cooperative on their initial move and subsequent moves. Those playing the community game were 70% cooperative, and that continued throughout the game. We as leaders have impact in just one or two words. So when we speak as leaders, we essentially are like viruses, to use a current example. We spread things, and we can either spread positive behaviors or negative behaviors in just a couple of words. And as leaders, we need to really reflect on the language we're using in order to 
have a positive impact in people because we know that that positive impact will produce better results. So do you want to be playing the Wall Street game? If you want to be playing the Wall Street game where people are uncooperative with each other and try to compete and beat the other person and never have a win-win solution, then call it the Wall Street game. But if you want people to be cooperative, you need to play the community game. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. So again, that I think that helps to frame our understanding of this concept. It is a, a lot about language and behavior. As leaders, you have to be the first to trust. You have to be the person who creates a climate of trust for others, makes it possible for people to cooperate in a trusting manner. So take a cue from that research that you are having an impact, either positive or negative. You're either being transformational or toxic. Which do you choose to be? And finally, how do we go about encouraging the heart? Encouraging the heart is, again, about a couple of things. One is about recognizing contributions from individuals. What have people done that you can show your appreciation for? And secondly, celebrating the values and the victories as a group of people. So we need both to recognize individuals for what they do, as well as we have to celebrate as teams the milestones we've reached and and the values we've been consistent with. One of my favorite examples comes from Tom Malone, who was, uh, he wasn't an, an everyday leader in this particular case, but he was a great example to all everyday leaders, to all leaders. He was, he, he had a small, um, a medium-sized factory. And as the owner of the company, he would often walk the floor. It was a relatively small organization. And so he had the chance regularly to walk the floor. And one day he saw one of his manufacturing employees put a part in a refrigerator, in the freezer of a refrigerator. And he, he was really curious about that. So he went up to this individual. He said, Lala, excuse me, I, I, I'm really confused. Why did you put that part in the freezer? And he said, well, I put it in the freezer because it was a little too large to fit in the hole. This was a rod that went into a component. The rod was a little too big. And I knew if I put it in the freezer, it would shrink a little bit and be able to fit into the part. And I wouldn't be wasting either part. Lovely. And then Tom realized that Lala is what his name was, put this part in the freezer because he was committed to the value of zero rejects, total quality control. And later at a celebration, a week which they have weekly on the floor, Tom called this out, told this story and uh, said, this is an, he is an example of the kind of person we're looking for who stays dedicated both to his job, to, to our value of zero quality, and, and to the productivity of this organization. So as a leader, be out there and about looking for individuals who are doing things that you can then tell stories about. And when you tell that story, you're communicating to others who are part of that team that they are individually making a contribution. And here's one of your colleagues, one of your peers, who's done that. This is an example to you of the kind of behavior that we're looking for throughout this organization. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Jim, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I would only say that you've done a great job, Pete, with your questions. But I think the thing that I want to emphasize, and I want to say most, Pete, is that every person has the capability to improve their leadership skills and abilities. And if you using the five practices of exemplary leadership as a guide, find ways in which you can more frequently engage in modeling, inspiring, challenging, enabling, and encouraging. All right, thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? 
Quote from one of the people we interviewed early on, Don Bennett, who in response to a question of how did you do that, Don? How did you climb 14,410 feet on one leg and two crutches to the top of Mount Rainier? He looked down at his one leg, the first amputee to climb Mount Rainier, and said, one hop at a time. I think of that quote every day when I'm stuck somewhere. And if I may add a second quote from Don, Mm -hmm. when I said to Don, you were the first amputee ever to climb Mount Rainier, the first to do it. What was the most important lesson you learned from climbing that mountain? And he said, you can't do it alone. You know, people often think about leadership as an individual solo act that is just unique to the person. But Don made me recognize very early on in our research that it really is not about what one person does. It is about what a team of people does together. Any leader who claims credit personally for accomplishments is not going to have the kind of impact that a leader like Don, who attributes his success to the team. Okay, thank you. And how about a favorite book? My current favorite, Pete, is uh, the newest book from Adam Grant. Think again. You got it. You knew that book. I've got it on my Kindle as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have the same stack or a similar stack. Yeah, but uh, Think Again is a wonderful new book. Highly recommend it to anyone. And, and I think particularly around this notion of challenging the process, it'll help us all to re- recognize that uh, we all have blind spots. We all are always in need of thinking again about the way in which we think. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. You know, one of my favorite tools is Grammarly. Oh, yeah. As fun. a writer, I use it all the time. Again, I I work alone uh, writing, and uh, there's often not an editor nearby, but I uh, just run my text through Grammarly and say, oh, yeah, I think I could see how I could do that better here. Mm -hmm. That probably is my favorite tool uh, that I use in my day-to-day work. And is there a favorite nugget, something you share that people quote back to you again and again? I would say that uh, there are a couple of them. One is credibility is the foundation of leadership. If you don't believe in the messenger, you won't believe the message is often something people recall from our work. People also frequently say uh, the best leaders are the best learners, another line which we wrote. But I think my favorite is leadership is not an affair of the head. Leadership is an affair of the heart. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I think the best way to find out the scope of everything that we are up to these days is the leadershipchallenge.com. So leadershipchallenge.com website, which is uh, where we have uh, programs and books and activities. And then uh, at follow me at Twitter at, at Jim underscore Kuzis. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say that my challenge is, is the following to to all of us as leaders, whether with the title or as peers, that our wish, ours, mine, and Barry's, is that you make the most of every opportunity to lead, that you stretch yourself and be willing to learn continually from the challenges in front of you, and that you step out to the edge of your capabilities and then ask a little bit more of yourself. Uh Jim, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much luck and adventure in your extraordinary leadership. Pete, thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk with you. So uh, we'll sign off and I hope that we get to do this again. Love them and lead them.
I really, really like that acronym LIFE. Lessons, ideals, feelings, evidence. Because at the end of the day, when you think about leadership stuff and the folks who've impacted you, and I think about folks I think of as leaders that have made a, a mark on me, they've got at least one of the four and hopefully multiples. They left me with a lesson. They impressed me with how they stood for an ideal. They made me feel something or there was some evidence that uh, they we made a difference in terms of like results delivered. Like, hey, we did this cool thing. Wow, that's impressive. And so if you don't have those things, then it sure doesn't feel like leadership. It's probably forgettable. And I guess those people that I remember that didn't have any of these four things, I think were just really funny. <laughs> just, we had some good laughs and that's good. You know, that lightens the mood, but in terms of lasting impact, I think Jim nails it in terms of just thinking in, in terms of, okay, what lessons am I teaching folks? What ideals am I standing for? What feelings am I raising up in folks? And what evidence is there that I'm really making a difference, that I'm making some results happen? Good stuff from Jim. If you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP656. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.